even as we were starting out on the intercession with Psalm 24, I was struck on how God uses different parts of the service to have a continuity which only he is in charge of. And we started by reading the end of Psalm 24 where we prayed that God would open doors. We then then went on to look at verse 3 where we looked at who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. We then went on to look at verse 6 where it says, This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your faith. And as we go along sharing today's word, you will see the link that is there between this passage and what we just prayed over as we continue with the word of God. Will you turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 34. And we shall read verses 1 to 8, followed by 19 to 28. Second Chronicles, chapter 34, 1 to 8. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of God, and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as as far as Nephtali and all around, with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shepan the son of Azaliah, Masiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johel, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Verse 19 onwards. Thus it happened, when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Abikam the son of Shapan, Abdan the son of Micah, Shapan the scribe, and Isaiah a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our, heart, our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah, 
and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokar, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. But as, the king, as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its, in, against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord Father, for this time, for these words that you have given to us to read and to meditate upon, Lord. Father God, right now I commit each and every one of us into your hands, Lord Father. Where encouragement is needed, encourage, Lord. Where edification is needed, edify, Lord. Where correction is needed, correct, Lord. Where discipline is needed, discipline, Lord. And Father God, where doors need to be opened, open them, Lord. Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. And we pray, Lord, that as you speak, we will listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have been following the news, you would have seen that from January 2010 to February 2011, there's been a whole lot of calamities and disasters that struck the world. I'm going to give you an example of some of them. Okay. These are calamities that have occurred worldwide. There was a massive earthquake in Haiti. Thousands of birds fell dead from the skies in the U.S. for reasons unknown. Thousands of fish died in the waters of the, of the rivers that they were flowing in and they started floating in the states of Arkansas and other states in the U.S. as well as in Canada. And there is no satisfactory explanation for this yet. There have been floods all over Europe, Sri Lanka, Philippines, Indonesia and other places. Massive cyclones and inland tsunamis in Australia massive mudslides in Brazil, forest fires in winter in Russia, snowstorms in Canada and the U.S., miners trapped and dying in New Zealand and China, civil unrest in Tunisia, Egypt and other countries, neighbors killing each other in states of Nigeria as well as other countries, Massive fraud and corruption all across India and in many other places also. 
some of these are natural disasters. Some are man-made disasters. On 10th February, that's exactly a week back, the United Nations Secretary General, Ban Ki-moon, reported that in 2010, more than 200 million people were affected by various natural disasters and man-made calamities. He also said that over 250,000 people died in 2010 as a result of this. A good question to ask each of us here, because we are the living people at the moment. A good question to ask every one of us here is this. How many of those who died knew the Lord? How many of those who died knew Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? How many of those who died were sure where they would spend eternity? To any Bible-believing, born-again Christian, as most of us here are, this scenario should neither be strange nor frightening. It might be strange, it might be calamitous to the world outside. It might be scary, it might be frightening to people outside. But to you and me, this should neither be strange nor should it be frightening. If there was to be an earthquake right now and this ground was to open up and all of us were to be swallowed, we should have no fear. We will just continue the service in a different place. That's all. Am I right? Do we have doubts? Right, great. You see, in Matthew 24, verses 6 to 8, Jesus speaks of these things, these calamities and these disasters and more things. For he said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdoms. There will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. And in Mark 13 verse 12, Jesus goes on to say this. Now brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. That's something in relation to disasters and calamities. But let me add something else, which is more troubling. Last week, some sections of the Church of England decided to officially conduct gay and lesbian weddings within the church with the full approval of the church. Now the, lo the world has lost all sense of honesty and integrity. But the church has lost all sense of morality and righteous living. That's the state in many, in many places. But again, if you turn to the Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. You will read this. 
These are the words of Paul. Romans 1, 22 and 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You see, the reality of the situation is that vast sections of the church have lost their fear of God. In many places, our living God has become another idol to be used and abused as per the depravity of man. And that's what Paul says here. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now if you continue reading Romans chapter 1, you will see that Paul continues to describe some of the most deplorable things that men and women do. He goes on in Romans chapter 2 verse 1 to say this, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. You see, God's standard is extremely high. And God expects us as His children to follow that extremely high standard. We read from Chronicles and we will keep that as our guiding verses today. In Second Chronicles chapter 34, King Josiah recognized the perilous state of his nation because of the actions and the attitudes of the people. He knew that something was wrong. But have we become complacent? Have we become satisfied with the mediocrity we live in? With the mediocrity of our worship? with the mediocrity of our intercession, with the mediocrity of our relationship with God? Or are we striving to reach that standard which God expects of His children? I heard a resounding word that we would all be in heaven if this ground was to open up right now. But the question we need to really ask ourselves is, compared to the many, many, many groups of people that have been described in the Bible over periods of time to be used as examples for us, how different are we from them? They were condemned. God's wrath was upon them. And they were condemned for certain reasons. Are we any different? Or has the devil even blinded our eyes so that we now assume that our future is secure? Or do we really need to reflect back and see? Today, God is asking us to look at ourselves and to see where we stand. Where am I going as an individual? Where is the church going? It's a time of introspection. 
is God telling us something to this effect. At the beginning of this year, I had to go through a painful personal experience that made me rethink my position as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a church worker, as a child of God. But I thank God for what He spoke to me through it. The seed for today's message came out of that experience. And therefore, the title of today's message is, Set Your House in Order. Set Your House in Order. In 2 Kings, chapter 20, verse 1, we read of Isaiah telling King Hezekiah, Set Your House in Order. In the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15, we read these powerful words of Joshua. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. From the beginning of this year, we have had a series of messages. From this pulpit, with the focus being on our need to please and to serve God. And then you have the divine favor upon you. In mid-January, Brother Sudhi spoke to us on the need to separate ourselves. Do you remember that? He did not speak for us to forget it the following week. He spoke so that we will act on it. Separate ourselves. In late January, Brother Claudie asked us a question straight from the Bible. He asked us a question from 1 Kings 19.13 and that was this. What are you doing here? That was the question he asked us. I hope we thought about it. I hope we answered that question. Last week, Brother Charles Coyote asked us another question. Is your heart ready for the master's use? Is your heart ready for the master's use? That was just last week. And today I put forth another question to each of us. Is your house in order? Is your house in order? These questions are not rhetorical questions, but are questions we need to deeply consider because it is quite clear that God has been persistently asking us these questions. God told us at the beginning of this year that this year is the year of outstanding blessings. But that doesn't mean that we sit back, hold a lulu bag in front of us and say, pour your blessings into this. When there is a blessing in the Bible, there is an if that goes with it. You shall have this if. Let us not with the you shall let us not stop with the you shall have this. Thank you, Lord. Because God is going to say, Where is the answer to the if? If you do this, if you serve me, if you obey me, if you hearken to my word. This is what God says. And therefore, if this is to be the year of outstanding blessing to every one of us, and I wish that on yourself and myself, we need to heed the questions that God is putting across to us. 
And God has been speaking to us from the beginning of this year. Maybe that day which only God the Father knows is coming soon. I don't know. Whatever be the reason, it is time for you and me to set our house in order. As a person, it is time for me to set myself in order. As the head of my household, it is time for me to set my house in order. As a member of the body of Christ, it is time for me to set the church in order. So where shall we start? Let's go back to Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Let us start by asking ourselves one primary question. Why was God angry with the people of Judah? Why was God angry with the people? You have part of the answer in verse 21. And this is what uh, Josiah says. In the second part he says, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. To do according to all that is written in this book. So King Josiah assumed that God was angry because of the disobedience of the people. Because the people had not kept the commands that are there in the book. You see, if you read the verses before that, between 9 and 18, which we skipped reading, that's where you'll find that... uh, Uh, When the temple was being repaired, uh, Hilkiah and a few others managed to find the the book of the law, which was uh, missing at that point of time. Of course, there were some copies around, but archaeological historians tell us that that particular finding was the actual book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy which Moses had, which Moses wrote, that was the one which was found in the temple at that point of time. And therefore it was the most authentic version. And so Josiah, when he went through it, and he saw that the people were living something different from what God had wanted them to do, he rent his clothes, he tore his clothes and said, the wrath of God is going to be upon us because we have not kept the law. Now today we have no excuse to say that this book is hidden somewhere. If it is hidden in your shelf, if it is hidden in your your library at home, it's time to dust it off. It's time to take it and open it and read it and find out what does it say. You could start with the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. We stop there itself. Or maybe a little lower down. Say, thou shalt not lie. And what did you do half an hour back? You said something which was stretching the truth. Okay, I did mention this sometime in the past. That stretching the truth is bluntly defined as a lie. A truth is truth. You don't stretch the truth. Okay, and therefore, the question really comes... It's not just King Josiah and his people 
who did not keep this word. But today you need to ask the question to, 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 each, to ourselves. I need to ask this question to myself. What is my position today? King Josiah assumed that that was the reason why God's wrath was going to be poured out on the people. He could have been true. That could have been the answer. I need to look at myself. Is God's wrath going to be poured out on me? Because God is speaking to me through the word and I am disregarding his word. I am doing what I want to do. But I'm not doing what he wants me to do. So are we any better than the people of Jerusalem, Judah or any other part of the world? Can we truthfully say that we are really keeping the word? Or today are we inviting God's wrath upon us? Now verse 25 gives us another reason. A slightly more frightening and authentic reason. This is the Lord speaking through Huldah the prophetess. And he says, Because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods. That's the reason why God was going to take action against those people. That's the reason why God was going to pour out his wrath upon those people at that point of time. The people had turned to other gods. Historically, many of the kings of Israel and Judah were responsible for turning the people to other gods. King Solomon had as many gods as he had wives. For every god he created, for every wife he created a new god and for every god he created a new wife. Okay? The people probably found it very convenient to have many gods. There was the god for the daytime. There was the god for the nighttime because the god of the day was probably scared of the night. There was a god for work. There was a god for the family. There was a god for wealth. There was a god for animals. There was a god for everything. Okay, so people found it convenient. You had a problem, go to this particular god. You have another problem, go to that god. So no god was really very busy. You see, the, the people could be scattered all over the place. So that, that was the way the people were at that particular point of time. This was the practice of the pagans around them. This was the practice of the Egyptians we read in the Bible. And also the people around this area were having the same practice. And therefore, the, the Israelites and the people of Judah could, would probably find it convenient that that seemed to be a good practice, forgetting that they had the living God and he and he alone should have been worshipped and prayed to. Now many of us may say that there is no other God that we worship. But is there other gods that we serve? Is there any other God that we serve? We may not have graven images or molded images stuck in some corner of our home. But we often have other things that often take away our time and focus from God. You see, when people turned to other gods because God says because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods what was the punishment that God was going to give them he said God will bring calamity on the people that's what it says and therefore we need to now look and say are there other gods that I am turning to are there other gods that I am serving because the punishment is a calamitous situation if I let that continue, my God is a jealous God. He's not going to stay quiet. He's not going to say, this is okay, this guy's a little low in IQ, so it doesn't matter. 
If that was it, all of us are very low in IQ compared to God. Okay, God is not going to look at us like that, but we need to find out, are we going to get a calamitous decision being made upon our life? Let me ask you some very uncomfortable questions. How much time do we spend in front of the television? Now for some of us, the next 45 days is going to be extra TV time. Because of this cricket World Cup fever. Okay, great. We may even sit in church and follow the score on our blackberries or blueberries or gooseberries or whatever. Okay, technology has brought everything right to our palm. And so you can sit there and find out whether Sachin Tendulkar is out or in. Okay? Where and who is your God at that point of time? That is the question you need to ask. Has the mindless chatter of the idiot box made us forget to spend our quiet time at the feet of Jesus? You see, the, the TV, which is secularly described as the idiot box, has really made idiots of all of us. It's captivated us so beautifully through, forget secular programs, Christian programs. I have nothing against those programs. But what I'm saying is, we sit and flip channel from a TBN to Daystar to Inspiration to God TV to Holy God, but we do not find time to sit at the feet of God with this book. Instead, we sit and listen to A, B, C, D, E screaming out on TV. And then we say, we have done it. I am only listening to people of God. God did not tell us, go and listen to people of God. God said, listen to me. I need to talk to you and I want to hear your voice. Let me speak to you, my child. How would you feel if your children, little children, have no time for you as parents? And you say, I know, I know what you want to say, but the same thing is what my teachers also are saying. I will listen to them. That's enough. Keep quiet. You're going to tell me to eat my breakfast. That's what my teachers also keep telling me. So you keep quiet. Mommy, you keep quiet. Daddy, you keep quiet. How would you feel? Ask that question today. How is God feeling? When we pray, we say, Our Father who art in heaven. But our Father says, You don't even want to talk to me. When I have something to say to you, you don't even want to listen to me. Has the TV replaced God? How much, when do we come to church? Are we on time? Every time. I think it's quite clear that this church starts at 11.30 and finishes at 1.30. Am I right? We, we don't have flexible timing. Okay? Yet, for some reason, now I can't, I'm not, I'm no one to judge. But we need to ask ourselves that question. I need to ask myself that question. 
Has something occupied our attention so much that we cannot even attempt to come to church on time? Is there something that's blocking us those one, two, three hours before 11.30 that is making it difficult to be in church on time? Now, this is universal. Okay? Uh, most of us are on time for every other activity. But when it comes to church worldwide, you will find that there is a lag period. Okay, it's a digital lag. Okay, there's a delay in coming. Now, we had this problem in our church back home. And one day our pastor came up front uh, at the start of the service. Uh, he started with the opening prayer. And our practice there was very similar to our church. We have a time of praise and worship, then we have intercession, we have a scripture reading, and then we go into a time of message. But that day, after the opening prayer, he said, okay, let's go straight to the message. And he started preaching. And lo and behold, halfway through the message, people were creeping in. And every time people crept in, he said, oh, welcome, Mr. So-and-so. Thank you very much. Nice to see you in at this point of time. And he said, if you want to hear the word of God, make sure that you're in on time. Because the word of God doesn't come to you only through the message. The word of God can come to you through the singing. The word of God can come to you through just that opening prayer. Nothing else. Maybe that's what God is using to speak to you. Maybe the rest of the service is not for you. But that opening prayer hits you. Are you there for that? Or is some other God taking up our time? Maybe it is the God of sleep. Or it's the God of the weekend spirit. Or maybe it is simply the God of laziness. And so we find it lazy to come. Okay? Now remember that God said, My wrath is upon these people because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods. And so the Issues that we have has a, has a result. Are we inviting the wrath of God upon our lives by our attitude and our action? Are we being complacent when it comes to the things of God? Has Facebook and Google Replaced to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Many people, young, not so young, not so old, and old, waste their time today with mostly irrelevant chatting over the internet. Okay, this used to be an accusation against young people. It, it no longer is true. Okay, probably if you look at statistics, you will find that the not-so-young are more involved in this today. Okay? Because the young are much faster in doing things, you know, so they probably finish their chatting and walk off. But the not-so-young are a little slow also. You know, so typing letter by letter takes time. I don't know. Okay. Probably good for doing some study on this. Okay? The devil has made the use of internet so cheap, Omantel has come with the latest offer, that we spend hours on it without realizing that we are actually paying the highest cost 
we are paying with our life. You're not paying it in baizas, you're not paying it in rials, you're not paying it in rupees, you're not paying it in dollars. It's become so cheap that you're actually paying with your life. So we need to retrospect and see, has the use of Google search, you jump from one thing to another thing, keep going on, chatting, Yahoo chat, Facebook, whatever. Has that taken up your time? Is that replaced God? That you have no time for God now? We need to think about this. If, however, at this point of time we can say that we are not guilty of these reasons, then let us move on quickly and see how King Josiah found favor in the sight of God. Okay, because the Bible tells us in the passage that we read that God said, but you, King Josiah, of a tender and a humble heart, shall see peace. And this shall not happen during your time. Okay, so King Josiah still happened to find favor with God. Let's try to find out some reasons as to how this is so. Now history tells us that from the time of Saul to the fall of Jerusalem, Israel and Judah were ruled by 41 kings and one queen. 33 of these rulers did evil in the sight of God. Okay, the Bible doesn't mince words. It says, so and so ruled for so many years and he did evil in the sight of God. Okay, only nine found favor in the sight of God. David was the first of these and Josiah was the last of these. What did King Josiah do that was right and acceptable to God? How did King Josiah set his house in order? Now what can we learn from the life of King Josiah? There are many points that you can take from this passage, but I've just picked up three points for us to look at this morning. Number one, he sought God and did what was right in the sight of God. Verses 2 and 3. He sought God and did what was right in the sight of God. The first thing that the Bible tells us about Josiah is that he did what was right in the sight of God. Verse 2. He said, simply says in verse 1, Josiah was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years. Verse 2, and he did what was right in the sight of God. It's as if that one sentence completely explains everything about Josiah. He did what was right in the sight of God. On that day when we stand in judgment and the devil stands accusing you, and God is on the throne. Will God stand up for us and say, He did what was right in my sight. She did what was right in my sight. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter. Do we have the confidence that God can use these words about us? When we stand in front of him and the devil is standing there throwing accusations at us. King Josiah sought God and did what was right in the sight of God. 
he did not deviate to the right or to the left. He was not distracted by things around him. Remember, he was just an eight-year-old boy when he became king. But he was not distracted. He started taking decisions a few years later. He was not an old man when he took decisions. He did not have the wisdom of ages to take decisions. He started taking decisions when he was 11 and 12. Because historically, according to, biblical, according to the times, a person was considered to be an adult at the age of 12. And therefore, he had to take decisions from the age of 12. So King Josiah would have taken decisions. And we know that from 16 he took certain decisions. At 24 he took certain decisions. These are ages when we would say a person is young. Little more than a boy. And yet, he did not deviate to his right hand or to his left hand. He chose not to be distracted by attractions all around him. And verse 3, it says, the Bible tells us that Josiah sought the God of David when he was still a young man. Eight years after he started his rule, Josiah sought the, the God of David. You see, he went forward looking and said, where is this God? Now, I need to know this God. I need to learn something from this God. I need this God to speak to me. This God who spoke to my ancestor, David. I, I need that same God. I can't miss out. He went seeking after this great God. And that was his boy, Josiah. He chose to lean on the wisdom of God rather than to make decisions out of his own wisdom. He knew his limitations even at that age when many of us don't. At our old age, many of us still think that we have an IQ greater than God. So, number one, he sought God and did what was right in the sight of God. Number two, he chose a good role model. Verse two. It says, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. That's what the King James and the New King James Version says. Other versions say that he walked in the ways of his ancestor David. You see, Josiah did not follow in the footsteps of his father Amon or his grandfather Manasseh, who were both evil. He chose to follow an ancestor, David, because he knew, he heard that that man did well in the sight of God. His immediate example would have been his father. For eight years, he's probably seen his father rule, because it says Josiah became king at eight. So for eight years, he's seen his dad rule the place. He's heard of his grandfather, Manasseh, but he chose not to follow at that particular age, those people. He decided that he needed a role model who was not somebody who was around him. He knew that what they did was not, wrong, was not right. It was evil. And he said, I shall not follow that. I need a role model who is different. 
I need a role model who will not let me down. And therefore, the role model that I see is David. And I will follow David. That's what he did. Now, who do we follow today? Now, we all know that we don't need to follow X, Y, or Z, or anybody around us. But we have the best role model that we could ever follow, and that is Jesus Christ. And therefore, all we need to do is go through the Gospels and find out what are the characteristics of Jesus that we would like to follow. Now, as a man, Jesus Christ had five significant characteristics. There are many characteristics that we could look at, but there are five significant characteristics that we'll focus on here. Number one, he was a man of prayer. He was a man of simplicity. He was a man of compassion. He was a man of forgiveness. And he was a man of love. All that he did in the gospel is about this. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of simplicity. He had compassion on the people around him. He he was a man of forgiveness. He had no vengeance on anybody. He came to forgive. And as a man, he forgave. And every action of his was done out of love. He was a man of love. Are Are these five characteristics difficult to follow? Leave alone other characteristics. Just these five. Having compassion with those around you. Having a forgiving spirit. And not carrying that chip of somebody having said something against you. Till you go to your grave, you are going to carry that chip with you. A character of love. An attitude of prayer. An attitude of simplicity. Can we do that? I know the world doesn't like it. The world doesn't agree with any of these principles. He said, if you are a simple person, you're going to go nowhere. But the issue is, it's not, going, it's not a question of going nowhere. It's a question of knowing where you're going. And if you know where you're going, and if simplicity is going to get you to that somewhere, forget about nowhere. Okay, that's for the world. Let the world go to nowhere. Okay, it doesn't matter. But you know where you are bound. And therefore, the Bible says, Jesus was a simple man. And he is our role model. Number three, what did Josiah do that found favor in the sight of God? He got rid of evil things around him. Verses 3, 4 and 5. He got rid of evil things around him. Now, different versions of the Bible use the word purge to describe what Josiah did. In verse 3 it says, And in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. That's the word, purge. Now, what does this word purge actually mean? The English dictionary defines it as this. To eliminate completely. Not to get rid of. To eliminate completely. Or, another definition is, to free oneself 
from something. To free oneself from something. Not to be tied, not to be bound to something, but to free oneself from that something. That is to purge. So what Josiah did was he freed himself from the clutches of these idols and he freed his land from these idols. He freed his land from the thinking about these idols. See, that's what King Josiah did. He purged, he got rid of, he eliminated completely all the evil things around him. You see, the Bible tells us that he so totally destroyed all these idols and made sure that no remnant of it was anywhere in the kingdom. Verse 3 to 5 states that he broke down, he cut down, he broke into pieces, he made them into dust, he burnt the bones of the priests and scattered the ashes over the graves. In other words, King Josiah utterly demolished all evidence of idol worship. Okay. He made sure that no bones would remain. That in the time of Ezekiel they would come back. He burnt, made ashes and scattered them all over the place. So they don't even are close to each other. Okay. That's what we need to do. God expects us to identify the idols in our lives. And then to break them, to cut them, to burn them and to scatter them. So that it cannot take hold of you again. If we just put it away, we are drawn back to it. It's like a magnet which pulls us back. If there is something that you say is not good and therefore I'm going to pack it away and put it away in a storeroom. Because I spent money on that. It's costly. I don't want to throw it away. It will still draw you back. At some point you will go and dust it and look at it. Your Egypt will come to remembrance. And you will go back to it. Or maybe you say, no, I, I don't like this one. It doesn't uh, fit in with uh, my uh, religious beliefs. But it's okay because that person doesn't have these beliefs. So I will give it to that person. Is that what King Josiah did? He didn't say, okay, we, the people of Judah, don't want the idols, so let's give it to the others of the land. He burnt them completely. He said, I don't want any remnant of it to remain anywhere in this land. There should be nothing remaining here. Okay, that's what we need to do. No part of it should ever stick to your life. See, those are just three points that I'm telling you that from the life of Josiah. There are many more that we could look at. In Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, Jesus tells us the same. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to enter heaven crippled or lame than to be thrown into the unquenchable fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you pain, causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It is better to enter heaven half blind than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. What is it that is stopping you from meeting God? What is it that is an obstacle between you and your Savior? Get rid of it. If you want to know the other characteristics of King Josiah, 
that helped him find favor with God, just go ahead and read chapter 34 of Second Chronicles. You will get many more things that you will find there. You will get things like, he dealt with his kingdom first. He responded to the word of God. He recognized the cause of sin. He took a stand and made his people take a stand. And there are other issues also that you could bring up. But for want of time, I wouldn't be going into that. Now, all of these were things that pleased God. But there is something else that really mattered to God. And that is found in verse 27. And the different versions put it like this. I'll read first the King James and the New King James Version. It says, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, I have heard you, says the Lord. The NIV states, Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God, I have heard you, declares the Lord. The New Living Translation puts it like this. You were sorry and humbled yourself before God. So I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. What is humility? God says, have you got a humble heart? Are you of a humble heart? So what is humility? Many theologians have agreed that a good definition for humility is this. It is the character of complete Acknowledgement of absolute dependence on God and total obedience to His Word. That is humility. It is a character. That means it has to be built in myself. It has to be built in me. It has to be built in you. It's not something that we put on. It is not a function that you can switch on and off as you wish. You are humble in church and uh, haughty in the office. No, that doesn't work like that. Okay? It's a character that's in you. It's a character of complete acknowledgement. You totally agree of your absolute dependence on God. There is no one else. It's absolute dependence on God and total obedience to His Word. It's an all phenomenon. You can't have a partial phenomenon. You can't be 95% humble. 95% humble is equal to zero. 99.9% humility is equal to zero. It's all or none phenomenon. That is what God commands that you and I should become. Humble. This may be against everything that the world teaches. But then what does the world really know? Let me conclude with these words from 2 Kings, chapter 23, 24 and 25. 2 Kings 23, Verses 24 and 25. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household of gods and idols, all the abomination that was seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the works of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, look at this. Now, before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. See, that's the standard that Josiah has got in the Bible. 
he turns to the Lord completely with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might and there was no one before him or after him who was like that. Can we defeat that word and say, today, it is me, it is I who can turn to God just like King Josiah did. Let me be that competition to King Josiah. Let it, let it be said that in the year 2011 there was found one person, there was found two people, there was found a church full of people who were just like King Josiah, who turned to the Lord, who, who forsake everything else, who cast away their idols and who humbled themselves and turned to the Lord. Now what does God want us to do today? Set your house in order. It's not difficult. It's not difficult at all. Because you just need to do what King Josiah did. You need to realize that God says, you have forsaken me. You have turned to idols. And so what did King Josiah do? Got rid of the idols. Turned to the Lord. Okay, that's all we need to do. God says the answer is very simple. Turn to me. Obey my word. Forsake all your idols. And humble yourself. That's all that we need to do. Let us now bow our heads. And ask God to show us where we are sinning. And where we are disobeying him. Are you obeying or disobeying God? Remember, partial obedience is disobedience. Are you seeking to do all that he has asked you to do? Or are you saying, let me do it my way? Have you forsaken your creator? God told the church in Laodicea, be cold or be hot, but not lukewarm. Are you excited to be in God's presence or are you just tolerating him? What are the idols in your life? Is there a foreign God that is blinding you to the truth? Is there anyone here who wishes to recommit his or her life to the hands of our creator God? King Josiah took a stand for God. Do you wish to do the same? Look at yourself. See where you stand. The result is not very good if we remain in sin. The calamity that will fall upon us. Decide where you are today. It's time to turn to God. this message we, we remember where we started from this morning it tells us that God has a plan for each and every one of us we read this morning at the beginning of this service Acts chapter 3 verse 19 the Bible says repent ye therefore and be converted 
that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That was where we started this service and we are ending there. Are you here? You want to repent and turn on to the Lord. This is your day. God has designed this whole day for you. Are you willing to turn away, cast away your idols, whatever they be, and turn on to the Lord with all your heart? Why don't you make this commitment to God today? And those moments of refreshing will come upon you. It is a choice you make today. And God is faithful to do his own part. Father, we want to thank you because of your faithfulness. We bless your name because you are a God of mercy indeed. And Lord, every one of us this afternoon, we are looking for moments of refreshing from your throne. And Lord, your word has searched us out. You have pointed out to each and every one of us where we have departed from your ways and where you want us to repent. Lord, our prayer this afternoon is that you will give each and every one of us the grace to truly repent with all our hearts, like Josiah did. Not a half-hearted repentance, but the one that will destroy every old part that is ungodly. Be there bitterness, be there unforgiveness, be there the things of the world that have taken your place. Whatever they are, O oh God, help us by your grace to totally destroy them from our lives this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are praying that this word you have given to us today will not leave us alone until we take the action of Josiah and receive these moments of refreshing in our lives in Jesus' name. Whatever the evil ones will want to do, to silence your voice as we leave this hall. Father, we come against them and we spoil their works in the name of Jesus Christ. You have specifically said in your word that your word cannot return to you void. It must accomplish your purpose. And so in this church and in every life, we decree that this word will achieve your purpose in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know you are eager to bless us. You want to multiply us. You want to give us these outstanding blessings. And so, Lord, we pray, let this word be a fire in our bones to burn down all the idols, to burn down everything that is ungodly in our lives in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you and we bless your name. Thank you for your servant that you have used. Lord, we pray that moments of refreshing, Lord, will overshadow his life and his ministry and his family in Jesus' name. Thank you for hearing us. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's share the grace.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.